digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. My guest today on Digging in the Dirt is the founder and executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association, Dan Kittredge. Dan has been here many times before. He's a good friend of WPKN and Digging in the Dirt. In fact, one of Dan's interviews with me can lay claim to being the most listened to Digging in the Dirt that I've done. So welcome, Dan. Let's do it again. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me back, Kevin. Always, always good to catch back up again. Um, yeah. So let's just for listeners who... Yeah, I'm sure some people still don't know the Bionutrient Food Association. You know, you're, you say your mission is to build a nutrient-dense food supply. What have you been doing to achieve that? You want to give us a little brief outline of the Bionutrient Food Association's mission? Basically, it's our, our, our overall mission is to improve the overall quality of food in the food supply. So whether it's carrots or potatoes or milk or whatever it is that you're purchasing, that next year, what you have available to you is better what's on the shelf is, is better than what's present this year. You know, over the entire food supply, we, we understand that there's, a, there's been some decreases in nutrient levels and they correlate with, you know, human health and environmental outcomes, both negative. Um, so broadly, we're working to increase quality. There's a bunch of things we're doing about it. That's the, that's the general so, what, so give me an example of one of the things you're doing. I know you just started the Bionutrient Institute. Is that part of the, this effort? Yeah, well, historically, we worked with growers to help them understand how to work more well with nature, which seems to be, you know, when the microbiome is functioning well, the plant's healthy and it's more nutritious and you don't need chemicals and things like that. And, you know, more recently, we've been doing this research work um, with sort of three basic objectives. One is to identify the variation of nutrients in food right now. So like, you know, what's the best quality carrot we can find and the worst quality carrot and define that space and see where most carrots sit or beef or, or rice or milk, whatever it is. So one, one, one leg of the stool is to figure out what the variation is in food quality. The second is to connect that to management practices. So we can go to growers and say, look, you know, from these 10 things we understand you're doing, if you did this one differently, that would improve soil health and, and nutrient density. And then uh, finally, the, you know, that, that's the second leg is what causes nutrient density. What, you know, what is it? What causes it? And then the third one is how can we test for it? So we built a handheld, basically a little flash of light meter that you can take to the grocery store or farmer's market and you know, flash a light at the carrot before you purchase it. And it'll tell you this is in the 80th percentile or the 40th percentile. So we can give consumers the ability to make choices based on that. And our thought is, you know, if we give the, if we support consumers and being able to make educated decisions about nutrition, if we support growers and being able to produce um, based on nutrition, um, then, you know, we have the pieces in place to economically incentivize agriculture being done more well. Um, and then hopefully, you know, positive impacts on, on our own health and the environment's health. So how's that going? I mean, I went back and looked at the first time we spoke about the bionutrient meter, the, the food spectrometer. It was four years ago. So what's developed since those four years when there was a gleam in your eye? I mean, it was sounded so awesome that we're going to have a, a little handheld device that we can aim at our food and it can tell us a lot about it and, and have us have a way to determine what we want to buy. And then you want that to happen to, you know, I guess, 
sort of cycle back into the who's growing it so that you know it changes the marketplace yeah well i think 2017 we built the first prototype and then i think it was 2018 maybe at the end of 2018 maybe beginning of 2019 when we started shipping out the first versions of those of that prototype to people who were interested and then this past summer we you know had enough data to calibrate that prototype so now if you've got one it can give you readings on 10 crops so sort of you know, proof of concept is done. We have gone from a gleam in my eye to <laughs> a meter in the hands of people across the planet that, you know, gives you not not the most nuanced answers, but it does give you real honest scientific answers for 10 crops. So, you know, proof of concept complete on that one. And what are um, the 10 crops? Oh, God. Oats and wheat and kale and lettuce and carrots. I think Swiss chard is in there. I don't remember all of them, honestly. And what are you measuring? I, I see that there's like 18 or 19 metrics that you're on crops that you're measuring. Uh, what what kind of stuff do you think that the consumer is interested in, in measuring? Well, there's one thing, which is what is a consumer interested in? And the other thing is, what can we honestly say? So <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I would say the consumer is interested in the overall score, like this stake versus that stake is in the 80th or the 40th percentile. That's my guess is most people just want to know roughly, should I, if I'm going to get apples, which of the five piles of apples should I pick from? Or which of the three bags of carrots should I pick from? So that rough, you know, where does it stand out of 100%? That we call nutrient density, and it's something we haven't defined yet. So what we have done is we've looked at, like you said, 18 different elements and compounds, copper and zinc and calcium and potassium and sulfur and phosphorus and manganese and antioxidants and polyphenols and protein. So those are things we've been able to assess in the lab with our, you know, at least historically fairly limited resources. And so depending on which crop it is and how good the, the, the algorithms are, we will give you one or more of the following. So it'll give you the antioxidant reading. It'll say, you know, the antioxidants in these blueberries or whatever it is are in the 84th percentile or the polyphenols in these carrots are in the 20th percentile. Those are generally considered to be health-giving compounds. Generally, more is better, but we're not going to say that. We're not saying it's better. We're just saying it has more polyphenols. And then the other one, the sort of the more complex one is called BQI, which is the uh, bionutrient quotient index. And we've got six elements and antioxidants and polyphenols. I think it's calcium and potassium and magnesium and copper and zinc. I can't remember the last one, but... All nutrients that are generally considered to be health beneficial generally are deficient in people's diets. And so we'll tell you, you know, these cucumbers of the overall, all these different metrics, this cucumber you're looking at right now is in the 60th percentile or the, or the 16th percentile. So that's our, our sort of our stand-in for the overall nutrient density score, which we don't have yet. I would say it's definitely health, very likely health beneficial. Um, but we're trying to be really clear about the fact that we're just saying what the levels of these nutrients are, not that it's better. It's a technical point, but <laughs> an important one. Yeah, it's difficult to understand. I mean, but I, I understand that you're, you're dealing with very wide measurements here. So, you know, I'm trying to place myself in the consumer's mind and say, well, well how, does, how am I going to use this thing? And yeah. right, right now, the bionutrient meter is available to people. Can people purchase it? I mean, and you, you yeah. feel it gives them some uh, heads up as to what they're purchasing? You can purchase it, and it does give you your very honest, meaningful answers on nutrients and food. 
you know, I, I'm, I may be sounding cautious because I don't want it to be, you know, understood that we're giving you the answer. This is better. This is worse. We, we, we are, we're not at the point where we feel confident saying that mm -hmm. we, we, we can say it has more copper, more zinc, more calcium, more antioxidants than that one. It's better than anything else out there in the market. I'll get, uh, I think <laughs> there is nothing else. Assessment, <laughs> right. What are you going to do? You look at the two bags of carrots. So what do you do? You're like, I like funny loaves better than. So what we've got is like, you could flash a light at it and it'll give you honest scientific data, but I call it the Apple II for those who know what an Apple II was, you know, it was one of the first personal computers, you know, before an Apple II computers lived in the basements of universities. And then, and then people had a, a computer in their house and it was very rudimentary, you know, up until now we've had spectrometers in labs, but we've never had a handheld spectrometer that can give you these kinds of real information. It's not an iPhone. Right. It's not a Mac. It's not a MacBook. It's, it's not. It's not a Macintosh. Is that the goal it's a, though? It's an Some, Apple II. Is that yeah. the goal someday to have it in everybody's handheld device, whatever they're using? As many people as want one. Yeah, I think I, I, I would be very happy if Apple built, you know, the the sensor into their iPhone and Samsung built it into their Galaxy or whatever, mm -hmm. Google into their Pixel. Yeah. That's, I guess that may be um, what makes it even more widespread used if it, it is in, in that kind of situation. I think, you know, we've got this amazing capacity with these, you know, scientific <laughs> instruments, the capacity to have a scientific instrument in your hand to, you know, connect it to real meaningful information for you and your family and the environment. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see any stoppers. You know, I think it's just going to be a process of, of keeping on doing the work to keep it open and honest um, and raise awareness. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, I would love to have something where I went in and I could say, I'm, I'm checking out the organic section. Is it, is it better? Is it than, better? <laughs> yeah, is it better? I mean, is it going to give me a reading like that? It won't discern between organic and not organic. It'll, it'll just say this carrot that you just flashed the light at is, in, you know, 63 and that one's an 84. And um, so you would buy the 84. I would probably buy the 84 if I was buying mm -hmm. carrots. I like to grow most of my carrots, but you know, sometimes I buy carrots, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we found is, you know, through the work in the lab before we were able to, to calibrate this meter, we had to run thousands of samples of crops in the lab and we got crops from all over the place, grocery stores and farmers markets and farm stands and, you know, bodegas and organic, not organic all across the country, across Europe. And you know, you can't really say that organic connects to more nutritious. Um, you can probably say it connects to less toxic, which is also valuable, but does not necessarily call it to more nutritious. And sometimes things that are not organic aren't toxic and are more nutritious. So I see what you're saying. It's an yeah. exciting conversation. It is an exciting conversation, and you'll have a lot of different opinions. <laughs> <laughs> the um, and so you're staying away from determining whether it has chemicals on it right now. Well, you know, like I said, it's an apple too. It's pretty rudimentary. And while calcium may be present, you know, at 1% or, you know, zinc at 80 parts per million, the toxins, the glyphosate and atrazine will be present in parts per billion. So you have to have a more sophisticated sensor to be able to test for those things than we have right now. Okay. Um, I certainly hope to be able to, or hope that others do. You know, I, I don't think this is something I want the BFA to control entirely. I think it would be great if there was a whole space here of people that were building these kinds of instruments. Yeah, I would say it's on the um, development, you know, timeline, but we're not there yet. 
Yeah, I understand. I think it would be valuable to most people and that you know, they would like to know about, you know, like you said, glyphosate and things like yeah. that. I mean, but generally we can, is it an assumption that we, that if it's grown properly, it's probably got less chemicals and things that are bad for you? It's generally a good assumption that if it's more nutritious, it has less chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard to have a well-functioning microbiome of the plant and have chemicals present. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are not labeled organic that are grown well and are nutritious. And in many cases, because the plants are healthy, the, the farmers don't need to use fungicides and insecticides. And they don't. And they may actually be, in many cases, more nutritious than the organic one. So. Mm -hmm. Same with local, same with, you know, regenerative, all these labels that are out there don't necessarily correlate with nutritious. Really, it's about your tongue. I mean, that, your tongue is the most, you know, sophisticated nutrient sensor you've got. We're just trying to build something that's, you know, along the lines of your tongue as opposed to a binary black and white kind of a standard. I see. Yeah, because like you say, it, it, just because it's grown organic, it likes a lot of the berries by the big D company. They, they're, they're terribly tasty, you know, I mean... I can't believe they're not how even bad. grown in soil. I know they're not, and and that's another <laughs> subject that we probably are not getting into today. But there's a lot of people would say that they're not going to be nutritious because they're not grown in soil. We did do an experiment in 2020 where we, you know, sent in a bunch of samples of tomatoes that were certified organic, and you know, some were grown in soil and some were grown hydroponically. And very interestingly, the hydroponically grown ones showed very poorly <laughs> against the soil grown ones. It was a small sample size but we can test these things and we can use a meter to tell to tell yeah well you know i i guess why you're keying in on this um bionutrient meter is because it, it, it could possibly be a game changer if, if you could get it into the hands of a really sizable amount of the population then it's going to reflect back on the growers and then they're going to have to make some changes if they want to sell their product is, is that the logic or even not necessarily a large amount of people, um, you know, but yeah, that, that is the basic logic that if, that if decisions are made based on nutrition by consumers, then the companies will understand that and go to their farmers and say, we're going to give you a premium for better quality, or we're not going to buy it if it's below a certain quality. That's the, that's the sort of idea is that, you know, here in 21st century human culture, money seems to be an important factor. And so if we can use enlightened self-interest for the greater good and for our families and also align with economic interest, you know, we have a, a plausible pathway forward to, you know, having some meaningful effect. I like to say if, if we had 50 consumers or prosumers or, or testers around the country who were each had a meter and each went to the grocery store and bought a jug of milk, you know, one from Stonyfield, one from uh, Horizon and one from Organic Valley, and they tested all three with their meter and they uploaded that information to the web. And it was clear that one of them was better than the other two. I'm guessing there would be a, that people would start buying that. I'm guessing that with social media and connection of our movements, we don't need need to have millions of these meters out there to to shift the market. It could it can start with with a smaller number. So it's a process, but. <laughs> certainly it would be great to have them in people's phones. I'm not sure if that's five years on the road or 10 years on the road or who knows how far it's a process. Is there some kind of certification coming down the line that's, uh, you know, this is certified bionutrients quality or something else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the idea is that definitely there's not like a label, like is or isn't, because that's part of the wrong-handed 
way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's an 80 and something's a 60 and something's a 40 and something's a 20, you don't just say one is or one isn't. You say, ideally, this is an 80, this is a 60, this is a 40, this is a 20. So the idea is really that we're going to try to stay away from a certification system and a, and a binary kind of reality. You are or aren't. But we're going to try to keep it as you know relative as possible. It's a continuum. How that works, you know, what is nutrient density? This is still work to be done. So I, you know, call me up in a year, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you how it's been going. Oh, but the general be... idea is not to have a label. The general idea is to be able to say, you know, in some fashion, maybe you can print out on the apple if you've got a meter in the back of the store, and you flash light at you know this this crate of of apples, and they're all within eighty five and ninety. Then you then you can put a label out that says on this day these apples were between eighty five and ninety. I get um, it. That would be awesome. It would be. And you know um, maybe if somebody's making Cheerios or or crackers or chips, you know they can say you know the corn that we made these corn chips out of was between seventy five and eighty. And you know if they if we've got a, a way to verify that and they want to put that on the bag of corn chips, awesome, awesome. Wow, you've tackled some really big subjects here. You know, what is amazing to me is that it is so widely varied and that you're gathering data. You're never going to stop gathering data, right? Well, I mean, I think there will become a time in which we've got a pretty good idea. You know, maybe that's three years out or five years out. I don't think it's going to go on forever. Certainly, the scientific process is always evolving and and that's all great, but I don't think this is something that needs to you know, take forever. The Human Genome Project only took a couple of years, whatever, you know, took five years or 10 years mm-hmm. and they got it done. You know, National Microbiome Project, like these are targeted endeavors to figure something out. And then once that basic understanding is there, sure, people can keep going and looking and finding stuff. But, you know, having a basic definition for nutrient density in beef, in milk, in rice, in wheat, in apples, you know, each of those is, you know, costs a million bucks. So 20 crops around the planet, $20 million, you know, a couple of years. I think we can actually get pretty far pretty quick without really that much money. And it'll keep evolving. But yeah, I don't feel a need to keep being a scientist. I think, you know, there's plenty of people at universities and, and things that we can trust to keep the process going once we've got a basic foundation established. Okay. We're talking to Dan Kittredge. He's the founder and the executive director of the Bionutrient Food Association. We're talking about bionutrient density and all kinds of interesting things about your food. Dan, you know, I looked over some stuff and I see there's, you know, that you have a principles of biological systems. Can you explain that a little bit for me? I grew up on a farm and didn't learn a lot of the things that I needed to, to produce crops that are really actually healthy. Um, and as I did learn that and got results that seemed quite impressive, I felt an obligation to start talking about it. And that's where the, the principles of biological systems course came from. Um, it's been taught in many states and many countries at this point. Um, it is freely available on YouTube. And really the concept is that plants evolved with green leaves to make you know oxygen to put into the atmosphere and sugar to feed the microbes with. And they didn't evolve to eat fertilizer. And you know, when you manage the environment in such a way as that the microbiome is flourishing, then the plants flourish because the microbiome is the bottom of the food chain and you have less work to do and less input costs and better economic viability and better pest and disease resistance and flavor and uh, soil carbon sequestration. So it's really sort of 
um, you know, we're taught about agriculture from a sort of a Western sort of rational reductionist kind of framework. And we can see the effects of that on the ecosystem. Um, and we can also look at sort of indigenous cultures globally in their way of managing the land and the effects of that on the ecosystem. And so it's really sort of using the words of, of Western science, but the, you know, the principles that are maybe more well understood by um, those cultures, trying to weave them together. So anyway. And, and that's, a course, <laughs> that's a course people can take online with you. Uh, it's, it, it's recorded and you can just go listen to it. It doesn't cost anything. We generally do it in person, but haven't recently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> There's talk of, talk of doing a completely online one um, this year. I haven't, I like to be in the presence of people, but. So do I. Yeah. Yeah, I love your we'll yearly conferences, and you know, I really miss the conferences up there in Massachusetts to come up. I, I would get so many recorded interviews with all those incredibly interesting people. You know, I call them the greater tribe. You know, the people doing all kinds of varied things, and you bring them all together. And they have films. There were such great conferences, and I, I miss them. Is what's going on with that? Are they going to come back? Uh, I mean, I assume they will come back eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, we last year we did a eight month long series of presentations from February to September, which we called the conference. I'm glad we didn't choose to do one this winter because <laughs> we <laughs> wouldn't have been able to. I hope that by this, by this coming fall, you know, fall 2022, things are in a place where we can um, get back in together. I think, I think that's, 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 my, that's my gut feeling right now. You know, it's been interesting. Last year we had people from 40 countries or 35 countries or I don't remember how many, you know, and it cost a lot less and it was accessible to a lot more people. And, you know, we love to have it here in Massachusetts, but for people who can't drive, you know, you're talking flights, you're talking hotel rooms, you're talking, you know, close to a thousand dollars all all said and done, probably. Um, food, um, registration. So it does it does limit the opportunity for people to be present. You know, we ideally there's there's bioregional hubs of people doing this kind of stuff we i mean i there's a critical value for the getting together but but you know i don't want to be selfish about just having it here in massachusetts we've got a we've got a global community at this point that we need to be designing for i guess mm -hmm. um, anyway. are, is, are your are your <laughs> chapters uh, expanding a bit you know we don't have one down here in southern connecticut i wish we did but we don't or long island <clears throat> for that matter we have a couple of good chapters in that region. There's one in Hartford and one in Westchester County. Right, that's um, the one I'm familiar with. I know all those folks yeah. over there. Yeah, I mean, we have not been historically supporting the chapters as much as I would have liked because I didn't think we had the internal capacity to, but I mm. do think 2022 is going to be a banner year in that regard. So people who are interested in setting one up, um, you know, please feel free to reach out. You know, with the meter being released now, the, the, the calibrated meter people can use, they can test, they can go to grocery stores, farmers markets, invite their friends over for, you know, bottle of wine and let's test our vegetables events. I think we can do a lot more that will support people in doing, you know, targeted things as opposed to historically was basically up to the chapter to manage themselves, figure it all out, coordinate everything. And it was a pretty heavy lift. Sure. So. And, and it's also great for purchasing too. You, uh, there's some cooperative purchasing of things for the soil that are, I think is just tremendous, you know, 
and the potluck and the conviviality and the exactly you know, the, the kin the kinship the community yeah um, it community. really is kind of thing that <laughs> for those for those who who uh, feel a desire for more for more of that you know <clears throat> human interaction from whatever distance so um, you, it's a great opportunity so does the fact that the world's environment seem to be getting worse i call it global weirding with all this intensifying weather extremes wrecking havoc on the planet does that have any effect on the way you're going about doing your business with the bfa as you think it's has some influence i'm you know i i, I don't want to be a um i don't know what the right word is i you know this is the kind of thing that a lot of people have said it's going to happen for a long time and we're starting to see it happening more and more intensely um you know you could argue it's not just the it's not just the environment the, the ecological environment but the cultural environment is weirding as well um you know i think these kinds of things happen when nature gets out of balance and you know she will rebalance things so it's up to us to determine whether we want to be part of that process or not <laughs> i totally agree uh, with you yeah i think it's very exciting to me that a lot of the people who've been seriously considering their generative proposition um, over the past couple of years are starting to come around to the conclusion that nutrient density might just be the you know, best lever through which to drive that regenerative effect um, <clears throat> because money is part of the equation and we're talking about shifting the way agriculture is done systemically to have that you know, environmental health beneficial effect. You know, you can make a lot more margin per acre on crops of a higher quality than you can on tons of carbon, right? It's just more economically advantageous for the farmer. If they can get a premium based on quality, get the premium based on carbon or get the carbon carbon credits payment as well, but it's going to be, you know, an order of magnitude or more, more money from the nutritional value premium, I think. So, yeah, I'm, ex I'm very excited. I think, I think. A lot of thoughtful people are, are are coalescing around this idea that you know working more well with nature is what we need to do. And understanding the nature of culture and society as it is right now, it has to be it has to be economically advantageous to people to do it. So I, I feel very very heartened by how things are proceeding. I mean, I, it's, it's, you know, you can <clears throat> the thousand people's houses who burned down and. Boulder three days ago and the, you know, all the floods and the fires last year and just, you know, it's the extreme conditions are and, and the, the, you know, all the animals that are dying off, all the animals have died off, the fish and things and I think it was Oregon, like, you know, it got so hot last summer. <clears throat> There's a lot of pain and suffering. So I don't, I'm not saying I relish that, but I do think that it's the kind of thing that's required for us humans to get our butts in gear. I don't think anything less is sufficient, unfortunately. It's not gonna it's not gonna fix itself. We gotta help it. It's up to us to choose how we engage, and how we engage affects reality. And if we buy junk food, then we are part of making junk out of ourselves and the environment. And if we buy good food, then we're making <laughs> ourselves healthier and the environment. It's so simple, you know. I agree. You wrote something very interesting in a note to the mailing list uh, about the winter solstice. The philosophy of the VFA is supporting all our bodies and relationship with nature so that we may be in a place to more deeply bring that world into being. Well, all our bodies is a, you know, a not too veiled metaphor or reference to the subtler aspects of our being. I think the concept is that, that we, you know, you are what you eat. 
and you you have an effect on the world. And so if you eat junk, your body becomes less healthy and you have that vibe in the environment. Um, and not only not only the physical food that you eat, but also the 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 thoughts, the emotions, the media, the relationships, the dynamics in your life are helping to create your vibe. And so basically what I was saying is, you know, let's take responsibility for <clears throat> our energy in the field. Um, and and that is actually everything we can do, which is totally massive, because when you start to have a more positive energy, you become mag you're more magnetic and you and you compel people towards that, which is not you, but it's that more deep coherence. So So what you what are you most excited about going forward here into 2022? What am I most excited about? Wow. Um, well, <clears throat> I, on this front in my life, I feel like we're making serious progress. And, um, you know, this idea of a meter was an idea, and now it actually is in the hands of people around the world. The idea that there's a connection between how you manage the land and the health of the soil and the health of the quality of nutrients it was an idea, and now it's, a, now it's a reality. We've done a lot of the legwork, I think, to get the job done in the next couple of years. So it's taken a decade or more to get here, but I feel like the, the larger forces necessary to take this, you know, to completion are, are coalescing very nicely. Yeah, I'm just excited to be have be this far along and to feel this good about how it's proceeding. Um, talk to me in five years when I'm ready to retire and can take a breath, <laughs> go back to farming. But yeah, right now I just am in, in the process and feeling very good about it. Well, I have to say, I really admire your tenaciousness and your stick to itiveness and, you know, and the progress that you've made. And congratulations on that part and look forward to the further progress that seems to be on the horizon. Inch by inch, row by row. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and thank you, Dan Kittredge, for joining me here on Digging in the Dirt. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You have been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org. And now all Digging in the Dirt interviews can be found on Spotify. And you are tuned to WPKN 89.5 FM. I'm Kevin Gallagher. And since Dan brought it up, here you go, the garden song. Singing with Pete. But 
I learned this song from Pete, and it'd be almost the same thing. <laughs> so, now I know, I mean, the difference, I know I've been watching Pete now for a few years, and he does something I can't do, which is he sings the songs twice at the same time. <laughs> That's what we were talking about before, celery consciousness, <laughs> and Pete can do it. It's the same, it's, he sings the song once in front of the song, and then once with everybody. That's hard. So I'm going to try it, but first let's do it the normal way, which is the way we all learn stuff in school. Now I know people want to forget about that, because you don't figure you can learn anything that way, but it's, it's wrong. You've been learning new ways to learn stuff, and it don't work. Right? So, go back to the old way. It's the old, what they call the boring method. And it, you learn songs like this. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. And you have to say it like this. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. <laughs> now, don't just sit there. You have to do it with us. It really works. You're going to walk away tonight from this show. And if there's one thing in your head, it's not going to be, where are we going to go tonight, honey? It's going to be, inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Then it goes, gonna mulch it deep and low. Gonna mulch it deep and low. Gonna make it fertile ground. Gonna make it fertile ground. That's good. Let's get that far. Here we go. You don't sing it like that. You just learn it like it. Inch by inch, row by row. Gonna make this garden grow. Gonna make it uh, deep and low. Gonna mulch it deep and low. Gonna make it fertile ground. Here we go. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground. Then it goes like this. Inch by inch, row by row, please bless these seeds I sow. Here we go. Inch by inch, row by row. Please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep... Oh, we didn't go that far. Then it goes, please keep them safe below till the rain comes tumbling down. Okay? Please keep them safe below till the rain comes tumbling down. Okay, inch by inch, row by row, gonna make the garden grow, gonna mulch it deep and low, make it fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, please let the season go, please keep the season low, the rain comes down. Let's get the pattern established here. Okay, now, now, with some people, most people can learn a song that way. Now, we'll also put in the Pete way. So I'll sing it in front of, I'll sing it during the front line. So don't listen to me, really. Because I'll be singing a different line, trying to, you know, do it the other way. Okay. Oh, wait. Inch by inch, row by row. Inch by inch. Gonna make this garden grow. Gonna mulch it. 
Call my own, cause the time is close at hand. Grain for grain, sun and rain, find my way in nature's chain. Tune my body and my brain to the music of the land. It's my gonna make this garden, gonna mulch it deep and low. Prayer and song, Mother Earth will make you strong. 